We begin our reading John chapter 10 and verse 22. It says, At that time the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around Him and said to Him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in My Father's name bear witness about Me, but you do not believe because you are not among My sheep. My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of My hand. My Father who has given them to Me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone Him, and Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone Me? The Jews answered Him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said you are gods. If He called them gods to whom the Word of God came, and Scripture cannot be broken, Do you say of Him who the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of My Father, then do not believe Me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe Me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in Me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest Him, but He escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, And there he remained. And many came to him and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And they believed in him there. The television that I watch as older shows, at the end of this one particular show that I watch, it'll often tell you like if uh, something's to be continued, when you get to the end of that show and start the next show, well then it spends about the first few minutes showing you all these scenes from the last show. And I always skip over that part. Why? Because, well, I just watched it. I already know what happened in that show, so I always fast forward a little bit. Now I recognize that at the time that that show was put together, It was a week before you came back to it. And they didn't have streaming or anything back then, and you couldn't watch a bunch of things right in a row. And so a week later, you were going to find out what the conclusion of those days was. And I remember the torture of that. When I was young and Happy Days was on, I remember they left Fonzie over a shark on water skis or just gets in midair and to be continued next week. And Yeah, that was horrible. I know you guys were feeling just like that last week when when I had to say, well, we can't quite finish here. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to do a little bit of that. Just enough of a recap of last week just to get us back on subject a little bit, but not enough really to cover what we talked about last week. But since you are in a day where you can stream it, I would say if you have a question about that part or it piques your curiosity, there are ways that you can go back and look at last week. So just do that, okay? Well, what we dug into and found last week, remember Jesus has been comparing Himself to a good shepherd. In fact, earlier in chapter 10, He described Himself as the Good Shepherd. There's so much uh, packed into this passage that we were talking about the doctrine is what we labeled it, the doctrine of the Good Shepherd. What do we learn about our shepherd, about us, about the salvation that we experience? There's a lot of things that we learn just in a few verses among this passage here. One of the things that we pointed out is that there is a human responsibility. John chapter 10 in verses 25 and 26 points that out. It says, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. 
So actually, this kind of has both the aspects in it. First of all, the, the responsibility of man. Jesus is holding them to account because they refuse to believe. Their hearts are obstinate or hardened toward Him and they will not put their faith in Him. And so He does not withhold responsibility for them. He recognizes that they are responsible for their hardness of heart. They're responsible for their unbelief. But then we also went on to talk about how their responsibility does not necessarily mean what a lot of people talk about as free will. The Bible teaches that we are free. Probably a free agency is a better word for that. We are a free agent. We do get to act according to our will, but our will itself is not free. Our will is under the bondage of sin. In fact, in in John chapter 8, he pointed that out to them. Um, the Apostle Paul does very effectively in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 and 15. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. And so at that point, he was looking at the law of God and how we never measure up to it. And he said, uh, you know what? The law is actually good. It's spiritual. Those laws are right. They're good. They're true. problem is I'm enslaved to sin. And so I fail. He says that's where the problem is. The human will without God drawing, as he talked about in chapter 6, drawing us to himself, the human will has no appetite for God. Romans chapter 3 says nobody seeks after God. It's kind of like what C.S. Lewis said in the book Mere Christianity, which if you haven't read it, that's a great book. He starts out with this premise. If you look over the whole world, everybody has the same problem. We recognize that there is natural law. In other words, we recognize that some things are good and some things are bad. If you mistreat somebody, you'll find them saying, look, you shouldn't have done that to me and this is the reasons why. We all recognize that there are reasons. There's, there's things that are innately good and bad. And so that's how you'll find people acting. But he said this, everybody has values that they say this is good. And everybody also violates those same values. doesn't matter if you believe in God or not. This is a common human experience that even if you get to make up your own values, you get to decide what is good. You will break those values. If you ask somebody, what is good in somebody's life? What constitutes a good person? And let's say they say, well, I think a good person is somebody who's honest, kind. Well, then you ask them, are you always honest? Are you always kind? Have you ever done anything that was dishonest? Have you ever done anything that was unkind? Everybody will answer that, that yes, they have violated. So even if you can decide for yourself what values you think are good you'll find that you yourself break those same values that even you came up with. That's what the Bible calls depravity. If human beings' will was free, then wouldn't you think some people would do good all the time? But they don't. Why? Because we're in bondage to sin. Just as John said, just as Paul said. And so by saying that we have a human responsibility does not mean that we have a free will. We have a free agency. We get to act according to our will, but our will is corrupt. It cannot find a desire for God. But then we have also kicking in within this passage is a divine sovereignty. In verse 26, Jesus says, But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. We have a divine sovereignty that's expressed within this passage as well. Uh, when he gets up into John chapter 17, Jesus makes it pretty clear. Verses 6 through 8 says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. 
Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All the believers are people that God has given to the Son. So we see the sovereignty of God in this issue, God's control as well. Now, the thing that we've been wrestling with for 2,000 years is how those two things come together. You have the responsibility of human beings and you have the divine sovereignty of God. And how do they blend together? That's the part that we really can't get our minds completely around. I don't think that in our finite human mind we have the ability to completely recognize how all this functions together. And so it is mystery. Knowing God is like that. There are things that God has given to us that we are able to know and to understand. And we need to learn and know those things. There are other things about God that even in the depths of our learning, we have to exercise a humility because we recognize that we do not know God completely. We are limited in our beings. And so we must conclude with where the Apostle Paul did. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things to Him. Be glory forever. Amen. We do want to know what we can know, though. And as we continue in this doctrine of the shepherd, we find that the divine sovereignty results in several different things. It functions through what we call a call. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. Now remember, he's given the illustration of a shepherd that goes to a pen, and he would call his sheep, and only his sheep would respond to him. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Well, you know what? In John chapter 8 and verse 37, he had corrected the people because of their lack of hearing. He said, I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, because that's an argument they had presented to him. He said, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Now notice that. That's crucial. Jesus is talking to these people. He's been calling them to belief. John used the word belief 80 times in his Gospel. He's calling them to faith in Christ. And he says, My Word finds no place in you. In verse 43 of chapter 8, he says, Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear My Word. He's got some people that he's been presenting himself to that have no appetite for him. They will not listen to his words. On the contrary... Believers have the opposite experience. It says in uh, chapter 8, verse 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Also in verse 51 of that same chapter, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. You see, all of this describes what has been labeled in the Bible. It's recognized in theology as the call of God. That God has an effectual call within our heart. Chapter 6 talked about it as God drawing us to Himself. The Bible often refers to it as the call of God within us. In fact, the Bible even refers to us as the called. Romans chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, he's doing his introductions. And he says, "...including you who were called to belong to Jesus Christ, to those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints." grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says we're called to belong to Jesus. We're called to be saints. 
A saint is anybody who has put their faith in Christ because now you are sanctified in Christ. He says we were called to belong to Christ. We were called to be saints. When you get to chapter 8, verses 28 through 30, it gets a much deeper conversation than it's a part of. And it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. And so you see the salvation begins before the foundation of the world when God in His foreknowledge predestines. And then in order to make that predestination happen, He calls us. And we respond to that call and we're justified. That's when we're forgiven of our sins. And eventually we're glorified as we stand before His presence in heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2 says, "...to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints." 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, "...God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord." And verses 22 through 24 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, For Jews demand a sign, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Like a third group of people. He said, Look, we got Jewish people, we got Gentile people. The cross is a stumbling block to the Jews, it's foolishness to the Gentiles, so who's left to believe? Out of both groups, there are the called that are according to his purpose there. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 15 says, Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised and eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. I'd encourage you to go look that word up, because this is a fraction of all the times that God refers to us as the called, as He talks about how God called us to, to faith in Christ, how God called us to be saints. This is a definite part of who we are as believers in Christ. We're believers in Christ because God has called us to Himself and sacrificed His Son on our behalf. And, and that's why we get to put our faith in Him. He overcomes our unbelief and draws us unto Himself. Well, not only do we see this idea of a call, but we also see the idea of knowledge. Because notice, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. Again, don't separate it from the analogy. What is the analogy? The shepherd goes to the sheep pen, and there's a sheep pen full of sheep, and some of them are his. And he says, They hear my voice, and I know them. He knows which sheep are his. Why? Because he knows them personally. We talked about a few weeks ago when we were considering the Good Shepherd, the relationship between a shepherd and a sheep, and how often they would even give their sheep names that kind of describe their temperament or different things about them, and, and, and the shepherd's intimate knowledge of the sheep. Jesus says, I know them. Second Timothy, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's supposed to be setting some things straight and correcting some people. And he says, avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenus and Philetus who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. And so you see within that whole passage, actually you see a demonstration of human responsibility. You've got these two people going astray. They're leading other people astray. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. 
And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. And so again, you have that mysterious linking of human responsibility and divine sovereignty because God says, look, some people are going astray, but the foundation is secure because the Lord knows those who are His. And then He goes back to human responsibility by giving them a command. Everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. You engage. You, you, you follow. You obey. It's a mysterious thing, but we see the knowledge of Christ. Jesus says, I know my sheep. Remember Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, there's a knowledge wrapped up in this divine sovereignty. Jesus says, I know my sheep, and they follow me. And that's why when you think back to Romans 8.28 there and following, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined. Those whom He is the exact same word, it's the word gnosko in the Greek, just a pro added to the front of it. Prognosco means to know ahead of time rather than... But it's an intimate knowledge. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. Well, not only is there knowledge, but there's also a perseverance. Well, the full term is a perseverance of the saints. And it's the idea that when you put your faith in Christ, if it's a genuine faith, it will continue. You will abide in that faith. We see it all over the place in the New Testament. The reason that you abide, well, it's kind of hard to define faith any other way, isn't it? Because what is a faith that does not remain faithful? How can you call it faith to begin with? Faith is in the word faithful. But it's this idea that if you are genuinely born again, that you will continue in that faith. Well, the way he describes it in our passage here this morning is it says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. That's how he describes the activity of the sheep. When he goes to the sheep pen and I call out their names, what do they do? They respond. They follow. We talked about that a little bit last week in dealing with our will and how our will is under the corruption of sin. It's not actually free. We don't have an appetite for God. But when God draws us, when He calls us to Himself as His sheep, we respond. Philippians says that He is God that works in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. So God is encouraging our will or drawing our will to Himself. He gives us that ability to turn and to believe in Him. And so much so that every person that refuses to believe in Christ does so of their own will. Every person also that chooses to believe in Christ does so of their own will. They act in accord with their will. But God has to do something there. God has to take us who are depraved in our sinful nature and give us an appetite for Him. God has to take, like Ephesians 2 puts it, those who are dead in Christ have to come alive. And He quickens us. It's that doctrine of regeneration. He says, they hear My voice. I know them. And what do they do? They, they follow Me. You know, in chapter 8 of the Gospel of John, verse 31 and 32, it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him, If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You know, that's why the Bible can tell us that if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. That's why John, as he's writing his first epistle in 1 John, he would write to the people and he's trying to encourage them. He wants them to know that they have eternal life. If you look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, he says, These things am I writing to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. That's assurance. You can know that you have eternal life. 
and that you believe in the name of the Son of God. But what does the whole book have to do with? If you say that you believe in God or you say that you love God, but you don't keep His commandments, you're a liar, he says. If you say you keep God, but you don't follow Him, it's not true. If you say that you love God, but you don't love your brother, you lie and do not the truth. That's why in other places, like 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he can give a whole list of sin and say, look, if any of you are living in this, you're not part of the kingdom. Wait a minute, I thought all you had to do was believe to be part of the kingdom. Yes, but that belief will change your life. Make you a new person. It won't all happen at once. You'll get a kickstart at the beginning and then there's, it's kind of progressive. You'll just grow in this new faith and you'll continue to grow. But that's exactly the point Jesus is making. My sheep, they hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. They follow me. The idea of a shepherd having a sheep that he knows that doesn't follow him, doesn't track. We follow. We persevere in this faith. Well, then as we continue, we see the next thing that is expressed is the salvation that we receive. Because it says, he says, I give them eternal life. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. And I give them eternal life. That salvation is a gift. It's a free gift of God. And kind of the point that he's really striving to make is the next one, is that not only do we see salvation in this within the sovereignty of God, we see the security within the sovereignty of God as well. Because he goes on from there and he says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. There's a few different doctrines that all kind of fit together. There's the one that we talked about just a minute ago, perseverance of the saints, that I'll persevere in my faith. There's eternal security, which means can you lose your salvation? No, you can't lose your salvation. You didn't earn it to begin with. You can't lose it either. And there's assurance of salvation. How do I know that I'm saved? Know that I'm secure? They're not the same thing, but they all fit together. And so you have the perseverance of the saints that you will persevere in your faith. God, when He did a work in your heart, when He saved you from your sin, He saved you from the future penalty of your sin, which is hell. But He also saves you from the power of sin in your life right now. As you begin to grow in Him, you begin to overcome sin in your life and overcome old temptations and grow in your relationship with Christ. And then He also is a future salvation too. That at the day that we're ultimately saved, we won't even experience a sinful nature anymore. We'll be saved finally from the very presence of sin in our life. And so when God saves us, it is effective. It's effective for now. It's effective for then. It's effective for every day as I walk with Him. God is delivering me from sin in my life in those three different ways. Well, in dealing with security, can I lose my salvation? Notice He answers that with a resounding no because He answers it in several different ways. To begin with, He says, I give to them eternal life. Eternal life. Now, I've had friends before that we've had discussions about these things. And uh, they say, well, I have, I have, in fact, a, a couple, I remember years ago, a family used to come to church here, and they really had trouble with that. And in fact, they told me, they said, I really have trouble with your once saved, always saved. Because what if somebody can turn and walk away from Christ? They said, if they can really turn and walk away from Him and stay away, then they were never really part of Him. That's what John's other epistle, uh, or John's first epistle, chapter 2, verse 19, I think it is, tells us. That they say, you know what, I, I can't handle that one saved, always saved. I said, well, how, how do you think clearly about this? I mean, eating one, eating the wrong apple got Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden. And so, how many times a day do you lose your salvation? And then they said, no, 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 no. It's not that. 
You have to deliberately make a choice to turn and turn your back on Christ and walk away from Christ. And I said, well, let me ask you this. The Bible says the moment you come to believe in Christ that He gives you eternal life. And I referred to this passage. How can you lose eternal life? If you can lose it, then apparently it wasn't eternal because it's not going to last forever if you can lose it. It can't be called eternal life. You call it something else, but you can't call it eternal life if you can lose it. Because eternal life, by nature, has to be eternal. But then not, not only that, notice he reemphasizes it. He says, and they will never perish. He says, those people, my sheep, will never perish. That's why in Romans 8, 28 through, what, 32 or so, we were looking at that earlier. Notice there's no place to get off that train. It started with God's foreknowledge, then predestination, then call, justify, justification, glorification. All who were this are this, and all who were this are this, and all who were this are this. There, there's no getting off of that. You know, the Bible tells us that we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world. That puts us on that train in God's foreknowledge and choosing. That, you can't get more secure than that. Your, your destiny is, is set. And so if you've come to believe in Christ, put your faith in Christ, then you are part of that group. He says, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one can snatch them out of my hand. I remember talking to that same family and, and I said, well, I don't, I don't get it. And they said, well, God would, never, God would never kick you out, but you can leave. And I said, well, how does that make any sense? I mean, if you're looking at it, they're at a point of belief at some point. They're following Christ. How can, they, how can they come to a point where they just decide to go the other way? What would have happened in their life to get them to that point? Wouldn't, wouldn't you have to say that Satan came along and had something to do with that? Wouldn't you say that spiritual warfare was involved there? Wouldn't you say that Satan would have had to deceive them to a certain amount to be able to get them? So then wouldn't you really be saying that Satan would be plucking them out of God's hand? Because it's not like they chose that from back there where they were trusting in God. And then Jesus strengthens it even more. He says, My Father who has given them to Me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And so security? Absolutely. You know, every once in a while when I was raising my kids, I'd have something in my hand that one of them wanted. Do it with my grandkids now sometimes too. And you know, the fact of the matter is, is if I don't want them to have that, they're not going to get it. But we're talking about God here. And God says, I've got you right here in my hand. Now, what power is there that can get you out of that? What power is there really that can take you out of that spot in my hand? There is one. Jesus says, My Father gave you to me. You're secure. So as we look at even the mystery within the passage that we have for us today, we see that there's absolutely a human responsibility. We are, we are responsible for our unbelief. But we also see divine sovereignty. And God's divine sovereignty can overcome human depravity. How does that happen? Through a call. He calls us to Himself. I was pretty religious for a little while, about a year and a half, before... I came to Christ. And I've often looked back at that morning. What was the difference? You know, it was just like all of a sudden, just a light turned on. All of a sudden, I knew I was lost 
and I knew I needed Christ. And though struggled with it for a little bit, and I mean like an hour or less, responded and embraced that. That's what God does. He quickens us. He calls us to Himself. He knows us, in fact knew us, before the foundation of the world. We, as we respond, we follow, we persevere. We embrace Christ. And not against our will, but through our wills, even at that point. And we experience that salvation, that free gift of eternal life and the eternal security. Can you ever lose this? Not if you really have it. The foundation of God sounds firm. Bearing this seal, the Lord knows those who are His.